Welcome to Reframing Our Stories. This podcast is dedicated to deconstructing the stories we've been told about who we are and how we're supposed to be. I'm your host, Kara Houck. I met Tori while I was a freshman at Capital University in Columbus, Ohio. He was an RA in the dorm where I lived, and he was a nice-looking man. So I naturally thought it would be a good idea to start a conversation with him. I quickly learned that Tori has a large heart. He is a caring and sensitive man who wants the best for others. It has been a joy for me to see Tori pave a path for himself through helping others achieve health and wellness as a personal trainer, and also to be a strong and attentive parent through his business called The High Powered Dad. Tori has written two books about both of these subjects that are available on Amazon. He also is a speaker and holds workshops for his community on being a high-powered dad. Tori and I start our conversation off in this episode as just that, an ongoing conversation. So you will be entering in mid-conversation, and some of what we are talking about is how Tori has experienced living his day-to-day life as a Black man in our country. So I hope you enjoy our episode today. This is Tori High. This is weird, but I got pulled over a couple times, harassed, just, so I just try to avoid Dublin as much as possible, but whatever. I mean, it's a new day. You just deal with it and whatever happens, but. I'm sorry. Our country's shitty. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like you at at a certain point in your life. And I think that that was those major instances where I don't know, like they, they just change you because that that sort of stuff is possible. Mm-hmm. When something happens like on that level, it's just okay. You just you're just guarded like all the time. And then there's just a certain level of guarded that you just live with. And then nothing is a surprise. I mean, I'm not riding dirty. I'm not doing anything <laughs> I shouldn't be doing. But I mean, oftentimes, it doesn't matter so learning how to navigate all of that. And I don't know. It's just weird. You just never know. But I feel like as as heightened as my senses have become about, or as they were about Dublin, that's how they are all the time now because of just how shitty everything is. Really, it probably isn't much worse than anywhere else. Like anything could happen anytime, anywhere. It doesn't matter. Anyway, enough about that stuff. Uh, but we, I know, but I wonder... That's also maybe I think an interesting thing to bring up and hear because I'm sure I it's like one of the connections I'm wondering about is like that I just thought about for some reason, like you talking about being like on edge or like being having to be more aware and vigilant. That's the word, right? Yeah. Is what does that do to your body? Mm, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you're constantly, if you're constantly having to be that vigilant and like your muscles have to be so tense and it has to change like the way that you're breathing and taking in air. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I never really thought about that. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe I should blame all my gray hair on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not the kids, not anything else. Just that. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. But then it's also interesting then that you go into 
that you're in health and wellness because those two like parallel. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I guess it's weird. Like I was watching, what is that show? Oh, New Amsterdam. You ever watch that show? No. It's an NBC show. It's a hospital show. Oh, okay. uh, Actually, it's pretty good. But one of the things, one of the situations was this kid had a tumor and they were trying to figure out why and all this stuff. And, And then so they have one of the main characters on the show is a psychiatrist. And so he brought him, pulled him aside and started asking him questions. And basically like he's bullied all the time. And so they're saying that stress and the cortisol added to added to that. So like the excessive cortisol levels can collect and turn into a tumor, et cetera. And so they discovered that's what it was. So very along the lines of what you were just saying. Yeah. But man, I mean, I refuse to be afraid. So it doesn't really feel like stress. It just feels I'm assuming the way that a lot of people now feel about school shootings or or public shooting, things like that, like just be aware, look around. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. And and I think too, just being my age and having gone through it for so long, it's just a way of life. Just somebody yells something at you. It's surprising because you weren't expecting it, but it's not shocking. Mm -hmm. Just deal with it. And I think like, I'm not really the type to fly off the handle and and all that sort of stuff. So I just deal with it. But if it's time to fight, I'm going to fight. But I don't mind doing that. But I'm not looking for it either. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want that to be the the default reaction. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's, it's weird. Can I be honest with you about something? Yeah. That you probably you don't know. But because I grew up in a small town in Michigan, and we had hardly, it was like pretty much all white, just very white. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to Capitol and I met you and Robert and became friends with you guys, like I would was always given a perception of like, I would have people around me who would just make racially insensitive jokes and just be like, oh, but they were like, but we don't believe that, but they would still make jokes. And I was like, yeah. And then there's, I think as a white woman, they give you different things to fear, right? So it was like always like on the news, if something bad happened, it was like they would show a man of a black male and you're just like, and so you're like, oh, I should be nervous. And yeah. when I met you and when I met Robert and we became friends, I was just like, especially you. I'm like, this is one of the most kind-hearted people I know. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know? Cool. No, that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, and, and, and none of the stuff that you said at the beginning of all of that is like your fault. Or I think like people can get offended by that. But I'm like, that's not, that's no, that's nobody's fault. Right. I mean, if I were in, like, we all love dogs and I'm not equating people to dogs at all. <laughs> I'm we all love dogs. We can agree on that. But if you were at the mall and all of a sudden five dogs came walking through, you'd be like, what the hell? Mm. And you would want to hang out with them, but you just, you're just not used to seeing them here. Yeah. You know, different. And that's nobody's fault. It's just, that's just how it is. And if we look at sheer numbers, we're not that much of the population. It makes sense. There are differences. And I think there's a huge difference between like racism and something being racially awkward. Mm-hmm. And and just ignorance and not all ignorance is like the worst kind right some of it is chosen ignorance like you've just chosen to be that ignorant and not dig deeper and learn more Mm -hmm. and and some of it is just exposure 
and that's not your fault. I went to Capitol under the assumption that it was a diverse place. And then I realized that diversity is a very subjective term. And for me, that was like such a diverse place from what I was used to. Yeah. For me, it was not. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the same community. I shouldn't necessarily have to bear the brunt. I shouldn't be the reason that you say this is diverse. At some point, you don't necessarily want to do that all the time. And I didn't like if I felt embraced it'd be fine. Like I'd have a great meaningful conversation with someone this Sunday. And then next Sunday I see that same person and they just look right through me. Mm. Double take. Oh, I didn't realize that was you deal. Mm. Walking into my own job and it's cold outside. So I have a hat on and I'm walking like right behind someone and I say hello and they don't even respond. And they didn't realize that I was me. And I walk inside the building, take my hat off and they go, Oh, I didn't know that was you. And we still can't say hello. That's your default to people of color. Yeah. Those kinds of things are the things that I mean about just being prepared for that could happen anytime. You weren't expecting that. You're like, oh, it's my coworker. Hey, what's up? And then they just turn and move away, switch their purse to the other shoulder kind of thing. And it's, you know me. But no, like when I was at Capitol, I worked in the admissions office. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. No, I think I remember that. Yeah. So I I would give tours all the time. So like people would come out and they'd go to the front desk and we're in the back folding letters to people and stuff and be like, Hey, Tori, your tour's here. And I'd come out from the back and I'd see the looks on their faces change because people would bring their parents, their grandparents sometimes, and their faces would change. I'd start the tour. They're not talking to me at all. And I'm just like, all right, we're here now. I'm going to force you to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes that whole struggle or challenge of like, how much do I placate and how much do I, how authentic should I be? And it's because you're on the job. I'm not, I'm me, but I'm also representing the school. So there's, there's just a a problem with that. But my, you know, most of the time by the end of it, everyone was cool. I think I had like the highest conversion rate, like people touring to coming to coming to Capitol. And I was proud of that. And the thing is, is yeah, that there's some martyrdom to that. But at the same time, I have an opportunity to change people's minds about what they see when they leave here so that it's doing my part. I may not be out marching and all that sort of stuff, but just in my day-to-day interactions and how I treat people, that could change people's minds too. And I think that's just as important because that's real life situations. It's yeah. Coming on CNN talking about you know <laughs> the state of affairs. To me, that's important. And I'm very aware of how I present myself and what that looks like and and what that what the residual effect could be to someone else i mean for them to other people whatever it is what it is so you got your ups and downs but yeah i'm i'm racially sensitive i think but just more like observant not Mm -hmm. like hypersensitive like i think everything people can say things that are racist and not realize it and that doesn't make them a racist Mm -hmm. i i just i'm like you have to show me that you're a racist between ignorance and racism. I was going to say, so you consider that part more of an ignorant kind of statement of not knowing. The line weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, like you just didn't know that you shouldn't say that. That's a shame that you didn't know that. And I've so many times I've had, I've pulled people aside. Look, just so you know, you're lucky you said that to me. Yeah. You might've gotten your ass kicked in a different circle. 
And let me show you why that was wrong. I'm not mad at you. Like, I just, you didn't know. And you didn't say it with malicious intent. So it's all good. But here's why that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Teachable moments, you know? And it's, yeah. Does that ever get tiring? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it does. Because sometimes I'm just like not in the mood for it. And I don't necessarily take that on every time. Sometimes right. I just roll my eyes and walk away. And or sometimes I revisit it later. But I would get that at Capitol sometimes. The guy's out of nowhere. Dude, how does it feel to be like the only black guy at this party? And I'm like, I didn't even realize. How does it feel for you? you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can leave. I know where the door is. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. It's just when you hear when people say things like that, you're just like, I mean, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like so- weird for you. I don't know. Like. You know, you're like I was fine, but clearly you're having a problem. Are you? Yeah, like, I didn't notice. Like how big of a deal? <laughs> <is it? laughs> oh my but god! Yeah, I mean, the next time you're in a place that someone considers diverse, just in your mind, just take all the white people, make them black, make all the white people, okay. all the black people white. Right. You're like, would I feel like I'm in a diverse setting if that were the case, or any? Oh other. yeah. But. You just you sprinkle a few people of color here and there, and then people say it's diverse. It's mm-hmm. like, but then when everyone has a chance to socialize, they just group right up in those same you know dynamics. So it's, it's how diverse is it really? Anyway, no, that's the truth. Sorry. No, this is good. I feel like no, but that's like important because I feel like all that stuff obviously interacts with your journey. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it influences like the day to day that we live and like how we have to interact with each people and claiming your space and yeah. knowing that it's right for you to be there and not always having to prove yourself. Like it's, yeah. there's that element of needing to prove, oh, like when you're giving those tours, like, yeah. hi. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm a human being just like you. Welcome to the human race. There's a whole other side of it too, because I'm married to Hannah and I've had times where we're walking down the street and it'll be a black female will look at me and roll her eyes, shake her head, maybe look at her, do the same thing. Mm. And where I don't, I, I, I feel like I speak relatively proper English and sometimes there's not an expectation of that. So on one side, it could be that like, if I were hypersensitive, I was just telling my friends the other day, like I've never heard of any white person being referred to as well-spoken. Yeah. So it's like a backhanded compliment. Like you didn't expect that. Like, why not? And I, so it's like, you're playing both sides. Like sometimes there are black people that'd be like, oh, you're trying to be white, like trying to act white, or you're ashamed of your own culture and went out and married a white girl. Oh things God. like that happens so it's like you're and even just being light-skinned like mm-hmm. that so everybody has like their weirdness growing up like everybody you talk to people from your 20-year reunion and, and the, the cool kids thought they were weird too they thought they were awkward and weird and it's so we all have that but there's just different levels and different reasons why and for me it's like sometimes i didn't fit in with some of the black kids i didn't fit in with some of the white kids and i was a loner and i still am but mm-hmm. I like it that way. I mean, I'm very social, but I'm really an introvert, actually. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I recharge alone and I can feel that battery draining the more I'm like with people. Mm. And it might be, I just might need a 10 minute break alone. Yeah. I'll just dip out. People don't even know. I'll just go sit in the car for a minute 
and then come mm-hmm. back and I'm fine. I just got to recharge. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, but I do love people, but anyway, that's, yeah, it's, you get it from both sides and then you start questioning, like, how am I presenting myself? Who am I really? And how much am I, you know, faking or how much have I been influenced to become who I am? But these are questions everyone can ask from their own experiences and for different reasons. So when it comes down to it, it's just be yourself. But now it's all the more important because I've got children. Right. I don't want them to be the weirdos where wherever they are. We're diverse now because we have these kids here. I don't want that for them. I want them to not just be around people like them, but all kinds of people. Like You're just right. for the sake of culture and learning more and just understanding people are different. And, and like this kid over here lost his arm. How do we respond to that? Do we ask loudly? You know what I mean? Those kinds of things. And so when those things come up, I'm like, good. We checked off another thing off the list, like just teaching them how to socialize and be respectful of people and celebrate differences rather than. Yeah. Them it's a, it's an awesome social experiment in a way, but it's not an experiment. It's real life. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. So talk about that since you have created your own business, right? Yes. Called the high powered dad. Yeah. So talk to me about, what that means and why you went in that direction and what are you, what is like your hope for the business and what have you experienced through it? Yeah. So tell me more about that. Yeah, no, it's fatherhood has always been super important to me. Like I always planned on being a father. I always planned on being a good one and just giving it my best. And when my twins came along, they're now soon to be six, uh, girl boy twins and everything just changed for me like everything my priorities just get learning selflessness and learning Mm. unconditional love and all of that stuff like everything just changed but along the way before they were even born I wanted to go out and read more about fatherhood perspective and things like that and so I started trying to find blogs and things to read and watch and all that sort of stuff. And there just was not a lot of material. And there was tons of stuff for moms, lots of support in groups and things like that. And just not a lot for dads. Yeah. So I just, I felt I want to share my experiences. And then as I, as they were born and moving on, it's, I want someone that maybe in my shoes that was looking for this kind of information to have it. Mm -hmm. And I've always liked to write anyway. And I just, I always wanted to write something like an actual book. I just didn't really feel like I knew enough to, to write that much content. But with, when they came along and just how big and how full my heart got and just towards them and just towards parenting and fatherhood in general, yeah, I got to get all this stuff out there because Mm. to just have other people have the accessibility to an experience. That's kind of how the book started. And before that, I was all already in fitness. And so it's now my personal fitness is not just about the aesthetic of it. It's not just about feeling better. Even it's about longevity. I mean, yeah. At the very core of no pun intended, at the very core of what fitness is, it's about living longer and living better. Like mm. that's the goal. 
if and obviously if you do those kinds of things then the way you look will change the way you feel will change but it's ultimately about living longer and living better Hmm. why would we want to live longer and live better but now i do have a reason like i I feel pretty good like i didn't before i got into fitness i didn't have any ailments i wasn't severely overweight or anything like that but it's no i got started as a dad late i was 35 when my children were born almost 36 Hmm. and so i'm getting started late i'm going to be an old dad i'm going to be around for a while this becomes all the more important and in the way that i would work out and train started to change too because I'm, I'm thinking more cardio about protecting my heart my father died in 2006 so this was before my children were born mm-hmm. it was a sudden heart attack out of nowhere oh really and yeah and it was he was not severely overweight if at all didn't appear to have any kinds of issues and it was very sudden and, and it was it was a huge wake-up call for me very pivotal and I'll be honest with you, I don't want to make it seem like there was a, a, a quick transition. Oh my gosh, I got to get in the gym. No, there was a long period of of grief and depression sure. before I got myself in gear. What do I need to do? And so I started, so I got into fitness. My goal was to prevent other people from not just dying, but their children to prevent their children from feeling the way that I did. When my right. So I started looking at, I don't want to say older people, but not necessarily training people that were trying to run marathons or make a team or compete somehow. Like, mm-hmm. you know, regular people that want to live longer and live better that may not realize that, that they've got issues like my dad did. So how... Together, sorry. No, what did you say? That's okay. No, I would say all of that just kind of worked together. Mm-hmm. Um, so what? So how, with the grief that you experienced, like how has that changed the way? I mean, it sounds already losing your father has impacted. I think the way you father a little bit. Would you say or? For sure. Yeah. And yeah. what have you? What has your grief taught you about that? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think that in the, the first way that that's changed my approach to, to parenting is knowing that my responsibility is greater. They've lost their grandfather. Mm. So I, I have to, I feel like I have to be enough that they don't feel like they're missing anything. When they grow up and they realize their friends have grandparents and that sort of stuff, and, and they actually realize, Dad, did you ever have a dad? Yeah. And, and it's, I want to make sure that I can last as a parent and be enough for them and, and take care of all of that sort of stuff for them that they would be missing and just not know it. But I think that like the grief part of it, it was uh, as much as I wish that they had met their grandfather, there's still a big part of me though that I'm like, okay, they don't have to experience that kind of loss, witness or be around for me dealing with it because the I know that the way I dealt with it back then was not the greatest. I did some self-destructive things. I checked out and, and there was a big part of like after some time went by, I really had to filter through all the things that I had said, done and thought and really start to dissect it and start to cut parts away. Okay. This was actual grief. This was depression. And mm. I know those things go hand in hand, 
but I needed to understand it better so that so I could move forward because there were I, I started realizing there's times that I'm that I'm angry or I'm just down or I just feel pessimistic about things and I'm not even thinking about my dad those things and, and I think after a while it's like the the grief kind of subsided but there was still depression there and I kind of let it start to guide my life in a way okay I for this space and time I'm just inactive for my friends I don't want to do much on that sort of stuff and then now the sun's out and I feel great or whatever reason that cloud lifted and I'm okay again I'm like that's not fair to the people that I care about and that's not fair to my children if it's if I'm parenting so I'm like I got to get this under control before before I do become a father so mm. Still something that that sits with me in in my head and and I try to handle the right way and I, I admittedly don't always but the good thing is because I'm aware of it it's I was going to say is you seem so aware like there's that's I think one of the things I first really realized about you when I met you is as you're talking it's you're recognizing okay there's two things happening here there's grief and there's depression what's affecting the other and what's what's not but then you're also like how is this also affecting the people in my life yeah and I I mean there's a lot um of I feel like compassion and wisdom that you hold be to be able to think along those lines but also i don't know what i'm trying to say but i can i've always have felt that with you like you're someone who's just so thoughtful and just wanting the best for everyone around you yeah and i want you to know that we want the best for you too right? like it's like it's yeah. like we yeah, love I, tori <laughs> yeah I, I feel like there's a lot of things that i can't do for people that i want to do mm-hmm Social interaction is everything. And I think that that's, a, that's almost like a lost art, especially with social media. Oh my gosh, stuff. 100%. Like, texting, like just oh, yeah. all emotion is gone. Just get to the facts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how are we, even, I don't know, my mom or somebody like might text me something and there's no emojis, no punctuation or something. I'm like, what are you mad? I was just on the run kind of deal. And but that just becomes a way of life. I just think things like this, just a conversation, I think are, are just amazing. And they do so much for your own heart and soul. Just just being able to get those thoughts and feelings out. I mean, of course, we feel our feelings, but to actually stop and think about them and get them out. I mean, it's just like when you're angry and you write a letter to somebody and then you finish writing it and you're like, you feel stupid putting it in an envelope. You're like, eh, I feel better just having written it. And you just throw it away, you know, like I didn't need to say all of that, you know. Um, and so sometimes it's just like that, like just understanding your feelings and just sorting them out. And then just, I, I it's weird because I want, everybody wants to be liked. And mm. I think there was a time in my life that I would go out of my way for that. Sure. Make myself uncomfortable doing so. But now, like, I think that there's, I think I found like a pretty good balance of that, like how to just be yourself and be thoughtful and be helpful without stretching yourself too much. Because then after a while, you're doing it with not the right heart going through the motions. So it's, yeah, I can't give you everything. If I got $100 and I give you $5, twenty dollars I feel good about that. If I give you $100, then I'm just like, yeah, that was a great gift, but you know, now, now I'm depleted. <laughs> it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
I think there's just a, there's a big part of that, I think, for me, just learning where my, where my ends are and how much of myself I can give. And that's honestly become a whole lot less because of being a parent. Oh, sure. Oh, God. <laughs> I just can't go to things and be places and I got to hang up the phone. I got to go oh. put my kid down for a nap. I got to go pick them up. I got all these things or I just have to spend time with them. Mm. And, and that's important. It's just about being aware, but that can wear you out too. Like oh, for just, sure. Just being, just trying to put all these fires out and just and pay attention to all these things. So what do you feel, um, like now I'm starting to think about when you're working with people in the gym, since this is a big part of what you do, what do you recognize through them as a physical trainer? What have you learned from the people you work with in terms of what you think that people mostly need? Ah, nice. I think that what I've learned the most is number one, that people are far more capable than they give themselves credit for. Mm. Um, that I need you as my personal trainer. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> From afar. Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's actually mostly what I do is, is coaching these days. So a lot oh, okay. of it is just like through video, just constant contact with clients through text, email, and, and building plans and stuff like that. But to go back to the question, I think that, yeah, like that, the, that your capabilities are greater than you, than you realize. Mm. that there are different ways to approach to get to your goal. It's not as daunting as you think. But I, I think that's really the main thing. I think it's just that there's a confidence level that just isn't there. And I think that if we can just build up that autonomy, mm. then that's, we haven't even gotten to the starting line yet until that yeah. level is reached. And yeah. then, like I, everybody, yeah, in terms of like revenue, you want as many clients as possible. And so another way to, instead of having a lot of clients is just to have a few clients that you've had for a long time. But I don't necessarily want that either. I want people to get their confidence up and their knowledge base up and to be able to go out on their own because that empowerment is, fitness is just the context. The empowerment is the greater, the bigger umbrella. So mm. if you've got that, then everything in your life starts to change and it can start with fitness. And, and so it's, wow, I didn't think I can do that. I can do that. And these endorphins are flowing and I'm sure. actually stronger and I'm more alert. I can do this too. Mm -hmm. It pushes your self-worth up a little bit in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you do, you feel better about yourself. Your outlook on life is better. And then you'll ultimately treat people better, including your own children. And then you're also modeling healthy behavior for them and teaching them some things. And so like, to me, this whole high powered dad thing is, it's not just about you or the next, that dad, it's about your kids Yeah, you modeling that for them. And it's, this is a, this is the best way that I can think of with my skill set to really influence culture and to really have a long ripple effect on people's lives than anything I could do giving someone money or spending time with people. If I can teach you something mm -hmm. about yourself, now you can go on. And I don't care if you remember who I was 20 years from now or not. If you got that lesson and you're better for it, then that's all that really matters. And if your kids are better for it, then that's all that matters. And you can take whatever things you learned from me and spin it your way for your family culture and whatever. And then now your kids got it and it just keeps going. And that's yeah. 
that's my greatest hope. <laughs> that's awesome. It's almost like you're holding up, you know, a mirror for others to help them. It's they see themselves as a certain way and you're like, hey, this is what I see. This is how you can be impactful and let me help you bring this out and then let it be contagious, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like I, I worked in in a corporate setting for a long time, for seven years um, doing corporate wellness. So there was a gym inside the building. So I'd teach classes and personal train and do presentations around the building and all kinds of stuff. And I'd see, and so it's right there where these people work. And so a lot of these people are executives or, you know, senior managers or whatever. So they're confident in what they can do in mm. terms of work. Mm-hmm. And they come down to the gym and then all of a sudden they go into the show. They have, they, and, and they almost, it's, I think one thing that's really surprising is that people, when they get in front of you, they just unload almost like you're a doctor. They tell oh. you all the personal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's way more than what's necessary, but I appreciate the fact that you feel that comfortable sharing and, yeah. and I do feel honored. But, you know, you can tell that there's this huge intimidation factor about being in the gym. And sometimes it's even just being with me because, well, you're the fitness guy and, and I don't know anything. So while we're going through stuff, I often ask them about their jobs, about their lives, mm-hmm. and things that they know about. And I can see the shift where now like the confidence is going up because they're in their wheelhouse. They're talking about things yeah. they know about. And then we make a quick shift like, oh, that's great. And I never, I would always make an effort to not pretend to know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And things like that, like, wow, like you have the upper hand. Hmm. we're talking about something something about Hmm. okay so like now let's get to the fitness while your confidence is high and then i will just i don't know congratulate the crap out of you the whole time it's like yeah see you can do it so let's try to bring that confidence level it's a sense of like power right like i feel like you're trying to reach a sense of equal footing because so many times like i know for me fitness is not does not come naturally except for when i dance but Going into a gym intimidates the heck out of me and it makes me feel so small. Like I walk in and I feel like I'm cowering and I don't want anybody to look at me. I want to be invisible. Let me try doing this on my own. So it's like cool that you're able to say you're meeting them and then you're giving them the sense of because that you're the expert in this field and you have this sense of knowledge but you're also allowing them to give their sense of knowledge and something else. So then they're feeling, okay, like it's almost helping them recognize their own sense of power and their own sense of humanity and then melding them together to then help them in their fitness and health journey. And it's so interesting too, because I mentioned before, as a sex educator, I tell people all the time, like we hold everything in our bodies. And so I'm curious in terms of trauma, in terms of depression, just anything it can, when we're not cognizant of it is held in our bodies. And so do you ever have those times when things just unleash or come out for people or you notice like a difference from the moment that they walk in to the moment they leave? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes people, they will start sharing things that on the surface seem to have nothing to do with fitness. And I don't want to pretend that fitness is a, is a catch all and it can solve all your problems. But, but yeah, I mean, I've seen people start to bring those kinds of things out and I'm starting to like, I start thinking like, why is this 
coming out. And I think that some of it is just, it's, it's just releasing all of mm. it. And sometimes it just comes with endorphins. Mm-hmm. And I know endorphins to me are huge. Like some people oh, say, yeah. you know, I, I don't get the runner's high. I don't understand it. I've never felt that. I'm not really a <laughs> I've, I've never I felt it. When I am the gym. <laughs> <laughs> like when, I, when I'm in the gym and I'm finishing up a work, like usually about halfway through the workout, through the end of the workout, and then especially when I'm done and like driving home, I feel so good. Mm. Like I always say it feels like all the good parts about being drunk. You feel like oh. the funniest, smartest, sexiest, all this stuff. <laughs> feel like, but if some guy tries to test me, like I can beat him up. Like you just feel <laughs> in every way. And I love that. But I've seen oftentimes where people may finish a workout and then now they're more willing to talk about those things that really bother them. And I mm-hmm. think some of it is the endorphin. Some of it is the trust factor that may have been built for the rapport during workouts and things like that. And yeah, so I, I just, I try to capitalize on that as much as possible and just say, see, like you got through that though, and you're getting through it. You're still able to do something good for yourself. And life's not really as bad as it seemed before. Mm-hmm. And it's, I go through that myself. Like I said, I feel great, but there are times that I've felt depressed or something's bothering me and I'm like I gotta go get a workout and then on the way home from that workout I'll revisit those problems and start coming up with solutions yeah things that I didn't even think of before it's just the clarity in my head and then the confidence to be able to do it like something may seem really daunting like how am I going to save that much money and oh okay here's some answers yeah I can cut back on this that and the other and I can do this and whatever those problems are just Mm -hmm. it just it, it feels the the outlook feels a lot better. And so when I see other people experience that, and if I have anything to do with facilitating that, like that's a great feeling for me. And I'm not, I feel like I'm a producer. (laughs) I'm not not the actor. I don't want to be on camera. I want to be the person that's making this happen. Like I want to watch you shine, but I want to have something to do with it. So your win is my win. And that yeah. feels better to me than standing on stage having a bunch of people clap for me. I'd oh, that's be great. Side watching everybody clap for you. Oh, like, yeah, I hope that. that's awesome. I find myself at the gym writing poetry, <laughs> like after I've ridden a bike or done some weights. It's like poetry then just comes, and then I, I get on my iPhone and write it down in the note. <laughs> but yeah, so I get that. So you save it. I mean, do you keep oh, yeah. it or is it just for the moment? Is it? Is oh, it- no. I mean, I, it's, I have to write them down in a notebook when I come home, but my notes on my phone contain a lot of my inner self, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. That a book one day. Yeah, maybe. So my question is, as we're coming towards an end, out with your business of high power dad and being a physical fitness instructor and becoming and the importance of fatherhood for you as well as losing your father at a important time in life what has been the biggest story that you had to reframe that's really interesting like you mean story for myself like yeah story kind of thing yeah to me, it's just, it became, I guess the story would be that I'm way more powerful and in control than I realized. Mm. I used to feel like things would just happen to me. And it's just a matter of how I respond. 
that's a great lesson in and of itself. But after a while, you start to realize that there's a lot of control you can have. Mm. It's like the choices you can make. and Right. Yeah. And so I think having learned all of that before or having felt that way about just responding the right way, that's helpful for the situations that I can't control. Mm. But, but now I've learned more about taking control. And that doesn't mean that like I'm a domineering person or anything like that. It's just that like the confidence that I can handle whatever comes and that I have the ability to change things. Yeah. Because I, with my dad passing and everything, becoming a, a personal trainer was not on my radar at all. And when I finally got myself together, all right, I need to do something. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the gym. I'm going to get myself in better shape. And then when I got there, I started I found myself talking to other people about fitness stuff and just having played sports. There was a lot that I already knew before I got certified. And next thing I'm I'm helping people and and then it hit me like, man, if I could do this for a living, like that would be great. And So I figured out what to do to get certified. And then I went in that direction. And so it's, yeah, your whole life can change. Yeah. Um, And it doesn't have to be a big traumatic or dramatic event, but you know, if if I had realized that in another way, I could have still ended up becoming a personal trainer. But now it does mean so much more to me because there's that history. Yeah. Why? And now my children and all that sort of stuff. The passion is there and even stronger because of those reasons. But it was all decisions that I made. Like, how Mm -hmm. can I take this and help people? That's what's become the most important thing. And I love that people get so stuck thinking that they're never going to fill in the blank. Could be lose weight. They could never, oh man, I'm, I've heard so many people go, oh man, I'm 45. Like I, those days are gone. It's, that's young. I feel better than ever, honestly. Like there, I feel better than I did in my 20s. That's good I, to know because <laughs> yeah. I say that all the time. <laughs> yeah, it, it started. I mean, it, this is, and I mean, what you do may have to be a little bit different and I'm not trying to necessarily coach you, but I think as a dancer, that there's a good parallel there. I, I see guys a lot, and I say guys because this is a great example that, that they used to play football, mm. older, have kids, they're way out of shape, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, I'm going to go back to the gym. And all they know is the football workouts they used to do. Yeah. And they think that's what they got to get back to. And, yeah. they, and even knowing that, they decided to get back to the gym. So that's great. You decided to take on this daunting task. Thing is, though, you're not, you don't have a game coming up. There's no reason for you to have to do all of that. Right. It's, it starts small and, and do it for your current life and lifestyle. And I think that's one of the main things that people need to realize is that TV shows, I don't want to name any in particular, but those ones where people lose a whole lot of weight in a week and all that sort of stuff, that's entertainment. It, I'm not saying it didn't happen, it can happen. But that's not real life. What are the costs? Yeah. Not what is expected of you when you go to the gym and meet your trainer. Like that's and that's a deterrent. A lot of times people show up and they're like, oh my gosh, please don't kill me. It's like, yeah, try to do the exact opposite. I know. know? And there are trainers out there that have the wrong idea too. They watch that stuff and get inspired. Hey, I want to be a trainer. And they take pride in hurting people or making people hurt. And I'm like, that's unprofessional. And I'm not here to knock other trainers. I just think that I've seen that so many times. That's the wrong, that's the wrong approach, definitely. I mean, the goal is, again, to provide the autonomy, but you want it to be sustainable. You could lose, just say if you lost 40 pounds in a month, 
that's cool at the end of that 40 pounds or the end of that month. But then that month went by so fast that you're going to just yo-yo. Cause you're yeah, it's not sustainable. Yeah, I can get that 40 pounds right back off and you're going to go up and down. And like you said, your body holds everything. There's a stress involved with that too. That's yeah. The seesaw like that either. So hmm. it's, if you do it in a strategically long-term way, now you've created a lifestyle instead of just a short-term goal. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I experience grief over the fact that I can't dance how I used to. It makes me really sad. A lot of it's like I bend my knees and I'm like, oh, listen to that cartilage cracking. <laughs> that's wonderful. And I, I feel like I go into the gym or go work out and I have that expectation that I'm supposed to be like this. And it's interesting because I just read this really great book on sex and the same thing applies to like our sex world. Like when you get older, do not expect to have sex like you did in your (laughs) twenties. Like you have to understand like bodies change and learning how to change your expectations around that is crucial. Yeah, for sure. What do you want people to know about High Power Dad? Where can they find you? And if they want you to be your tra- or you be their trainer, is that correct? Did I say that right? How do they find you? Awesome. Where can they buy your books? Do you have two books? Yeah, I do. And okay. my, the second book is called So You Want to Join the Gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's about all of oh, a lot of the things that we were just talking about when you first join a gym and the things to expect and getting your confidence up and all that sort of stuff and what to look for in a gym and what to look for in a trainer. If you decide to go the trainer route and what, just knowing that trainer works for you, not the other way around Mm -hmm. like that. That's true. And and that's an ebook only and it's on Amazon, the high powered dad book, becoming a super hero for your family. Mm -hmm. That's also on Amazon and that's on an ebook format and also in paperback. Awesome. Um, it's actually a workout in there too. So oh, that, cool. that's helpful. So if people wanted to hire you to come speak or do workshops on yeah. high power dad, how, how do they find you? The best way is probably just through email. I, I was doing the social media thing and honestly, I'm just not great at keeping up with it. Like there's just about just creating content all the time. I mean, being a parent is tough. So yeah. my email address is Tori high at highpoweredwellness.com. It's all one one word. Tori High is T-O-R-Y-H-I-G-H at highpoweredwellness.com. And I can also include that in the show notes for people to get a hold of you. Tori, I find you to be amazing. And thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate it. And I love everything that you're doing and your gifts for the world are good. Thank you so much. That's, that means a lot to me. And it's, I'm very thankful and honored to be a part of this. I love talking to people. And I think that it's, I'm honored that you find the things that I have to say useful to other people. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. Yay. Well, thank you. Thank you.